Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by the Amoria Bond Group. In each episode, we feature prominent business leaders and industry experts sharing their personal experiences and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them and insights into their specialist fields, as well as tools, techniques, and practical steps we can all take to progress lives everywhere. Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. And today I invited not only a friend, but also an individual who is very well known with progressing lives and with uh, communication styles. And that is Nick Booth. Welcome, Nick, to today's uh, show. Thanks, Timon. Nick is the owner of the Seventh Wave training company, and you are the owner of this business since 2010, I believe, Nick, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. In your career, so your career did not start in 2010, but I believe before that, you've been working with loads of people, and I guess that's also where your interest came from, progressing people's life. Can you talk me through what does progression means to you? In terms of progression, I think it's it's giving everybody the opportunity to be the best version of themselves they can be. I think that's number one, because very often we develop a type or a way of communicating that we believe works for us, but we don't always think about what it's like for the recipient. And that kind of communication style, the way we work with each other, ultimately creates relationships. And so when I started my career back in I was 21, 22, running a Woolworths store on the high street in, in Nottingham. And I, and I did that for six years. And my style at the time as a leader running, I had 15 full-time ladies that I managed, all middle-aged ladies. And in, in essence, they managed me. And that was it. So I did that for six years. And you realize you develop a style because you've got no reflective practice at all. And then I moved to to macro wholesalers. And when I was working with macro, I worked in, in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, moved over to Belfast very, very different cultures. And then ultimately worked in macro Harsden in London, where I had 600 staff and 80 different cultures. And and within that time, you realize how important it is for us to understand each other, to allow you to progress in your environment, to be the best version of you you can be. And I do have a bit of a core principle that in any relationship you have, you've taught that person how to treat you. And I think that is so important for us to kind of back, always think that. So in any relationship, you've taught that person how to treat you. And that is one of our fundamental beliefs as a company, certainly for myself. And it's about taking responsibility yourself for how you communicate to others. Thanks for the, uh, for the introduction, Nick, and giving a bit more context about your, uh, your career so far. You mentioned a few things that piqued my interest, to be honest. Uh, and one of the things was you've managed different people out of different uh, backgrounds as well. What was there or is there somewhere in your career that you triggered that triggered you of realizing that everyone is different and I need to start communicating differently to those people? I think absolutely. I think what you've got to do, you've got to tailor your communication to those individuals. So I would say in Woolworths was very young, so I probably can't really, that doesn't work as well as a story for you guys, I don't think. But certainly in macro, it was a wholesale environment. It was huge. Again, five, six hundred staff. So the way you communicated, you had, you had a limited window to communicate to your team. And their success within their departments that they ran was ultimately your success. In Woolworths, you could fill the shelves yourself. You could go around and basically run the shop on your own as long as you had someone on the checkout. When we went to, and that was at 15, so I literally went from managing 15 people to managing nearly 400 people when I ran 
uh, my smorty store, which was Macro Hall. And you realize that you can't do it all yourself. So what you have to do is max out on that time you have with each individual. Effectively is emotional intelligence. But you, you have to learn how to max out on that communication time with those individuals to get the best from it. So, you know, in answer to your question, team, on what really what I was doing was focusing, thinking, I've got two or three minutes with this individual. How can I max out? Was that the best form of communication to that individual? And sometimes it went terribly wrong. And sometimes I kind of got it right. But at the time, I didn't realize why I was getting it right and why I was getting it wrong. But I learned that more when I left being cute. Yeah, so that's, it's quite interesting. So do you have an example where maybe your communication went, well, completely wrong and you, you realized only afterwards, oh, I should have communicated differently? I think so. I suppose more recently, I think it's my accountant. So I'm self-employed and got my business. And I remember the first year, when you wouldn't run a business in the UK, the first year is kind of tax-free because the tax allows you to kind of get going from a cash flow point of view. The second year is when you are taxed on your first year and you're also predicted tax on your third year. So it's quite a heavy, it's quite a tough time. And I remember my accountant ringing me up and he, he said, look, you're going to be taxed. You've got VAT, you've got income tax and corporation tax. And I, I had a real, I was angry at him. You know, I was frustrated. I was, I said, PT, you should have told me this. And I realized all of that was my fault. And well, I, and I, he is a good friend like you, Timon. He's a good friend to me. He looks after me. And I had to apologize to him because what I was assuming was that he was going to look after me and talk me through the detail, but we'd never had that contract. We'd never agreed that. So how was he to know that? So my assumption was he was going to do that. The reality was I never told him. So he's not a mind reader. And what he doesn't do is wake up in the morning and think about Nick Booth every day because he's got other businesses he, he, he looks after. Yeah. So consequently, I had to readdress that, go and buy him lunch, apologize for my brusqueness. Um, and explain to him that this is what I need because my style is is one of probably wider thinking as opposed to detail. And and if we get to talk about insights later, I'll probably explain that a little more and talk in a bit more detail. But that's where I could have lost a friendship there, but I had to revert pretty quickly, rewind, apologize, take responsibility for that, get back to him and explain to him really what I wanted him to do for me. Um, and then when he got that, he's now fant- absolutely fantastic. So yeah, that's when I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you learned it the hard way. So you had to buy him lunch as well. Yeah, and it was expensive. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an expensive way of learning <laughs> how to communicate, for sure. So in your career, you you found out that I need sometimes I need to communicate to communicate differently to different people. But if I relate it to myself, how how do I know how can I communicate best to an individual? Because I can learn it the hard way, but I can also understand that sometimes it might be difficult for individuals to to think about the other person receiving your message? Yeah, within Seventh Wave, we use a a tool called Insights Discovery. It is by far, I believe, the best tool for understanding others. So if I can give you a long answer to your question, if that's okay, the way we look at it is, so it's based around Carl Jung's work in 1965, and he he looked about preferences, about how people prefer to be, and he based it on two factors. The first factor is how we're energized. So whether you're an introvert or extrovert or introversion, extroversion. So that was the first factor. The other factor we overlay that is how you make decisions. Is it thinking or feeling? And then when you put those two things together, you come up with four energies. So an extrovert thinker, so very logical, very driven, very focused, is very red energy. On the opposite side of the wheel, you've got someone, an introverted thinker. That would be someone who could do a vocational role, like a nurse, and they've got green energy. Um, or a green preference. Then you've got 
extroverted feeling. So someone who wears their heart on their sleeve, and that's yellow energy. And then you move over to the introverted thinking, which is someone who's got this cool blue logic, and that's blue energy. So that's where my accountant sits, is in that blue energy. So it's introverted thinking, where I express things quite freely without always filtering my uh, responses. I'm very open and yellow energy. So someone who's very direct, often a CEO, might have a lot of red energy. And then sometimes a coach or a nurse or a carer could be green energy. So in answer to your question, what I would do, I would just consider, and I think there's two ways of answering these questions. Firstly, consider their color energy and, and think about how they would prefer to be communicated to. But the other way is asking them about them is always the best way. So how are you? You know, how are you doing? And then allowing time for them to answer. Because this is what we, I think, as a, as a generation of leaders, and certainly the leaders I've met um, and spend a lot of time with, they want to give the answer all the, all the time. They think the fastest way to get a result is to give the answer. So in answer to your question, Timon, what I would do, I would ask them questions about themselves. How do they like to go about life and, and work? And then ask them the why question. And from that, you can probably establish their communication style through an insights filter is the way I would do it. Yeah, well, I had the privilege to work together with you, Nick, as well on the insights. And I think it's it was great to realize for myself what my core energy is on communication style. And also for the people that I work with, it's great to know how best to communicate to uh, to each other. But when I speak to other people about this, about the communication styles, about the preferences, the different colors, often I get the response uh, yeah, Timon, that's all great, but aren't we putting those people into a specific corner? One thing that we express and really focus on is no one is a colour. So no one is one colour. Everybody is a blend of all four. I mentioned my accountant, Peter. He's got, you know, he's dominant blue energy, but yet he still does things. You know, he goes sailing with his sons. He does loads of, you know, stuff that sometimes surprises me. He's just, he's just been on a motorbike tour with some of his friends around Scotland. So in that time, when he was sitting at night having a beer with a round of fire, he would be what we call dialing up his yellow energy. But also he would like some quiet time. So we've got all four insiders and it is what you prefer. When you go home from work, you know, do you like to reflect on your day or do you like to tell others about your day? It's our preference, what we prefer. If Peter disappeared off the face of the earth i I could just about i wouldn't like it but i could do my own accounts i wouldn't like it i wouldn't enjoy it but i could do it so it's just what i prefer and i think that's what's really important when we are talking to someone what we're hearing is preference what we are not doing is boxing them into a corner that is the last thing we ever do because these are all choices for example the one that i come across most recently from two ceos that i'm coaching is the fear of public speaking so that is lack of yellow energy and they realize it's something they must do more of now that is a fantastic opportunity because if we talk about you know progressing people's lives they are they feel they're limiting their world because they can't public speak you know and i can't say just go and do it because that would be just harsh and it would be an unfair way of communicating so what they've done is one of them is taking a public speaking course and the other one uh, fascinatingly is learning to be a stand-up comedian so he's taken a course in becoming a stand-up comedian. I mean, it's a 12-week course, and then COVID restrictions being lifted. On the 12th week, you do a, a, a stand-up on a stage and do a, do a set of 20 minutes. And he's doing that to face into his fears to, to, because of his lack of yellow energy, in my language. 
So he's turning that up. He's working on that. Yeah. And if I, if I link this to people listening to this podcast, they might be in, in a managerial role or they might stepping up to into a leadership role. Then you just spoke about if you talk to someone, how is your day or how you doing? They display often their preferred energy or their preferred communication style. But how can I apply this into my daily work? For example, I've had a team of three, four, five people in my team. And how can I work with these five different individuals? Where, where can I start? So can you give me some practical tips that I can apply as a, as a manager, for example? Okay, so the, the first thing I would do is if you're going to be working with these people for a length of time, I would be completely overt. And by that, I would mean I would give them an overview of how Insights works. I would have a chat with them about communication styles. I'll chat with them about where they think their preference lies. That's what I'd do at first. That'd be my primary function. The second thing is I'd get a, a bit of a contracting with them around. It's a safe environment. You know, I won't judge you. Let's all, you know, we have a destination. So, and then I'd say to them, tell me about your day. How do you like to be communicated to? Because if you think about progressing lives everywhere, one of the biggest things that can stop someone progressing is fear of failure or fear of their boss. And they're normally combined. So if we can take away that fear of failure and allow someone to be a little bit freer in that space, you can really progress lives extremely quickly because those individuals can become very, very buoyant and more courageous in their style at work because they're not fearful of their boss. So that is what I would do. I'd want to be number very, very overt with it. Secondly, I will check in with them on a semi-regular basis every few days. How's it been? Anything more I can do for you? But at the same time, putting rules in place, if you like. I talk about doing basics brilliantly. So it's about like, what are we doing to do basics brilliantly? Because you've, you've got to be playing by the same rules and you've got to be aiming towards the same thing. If you're doing that, then you won't go far wrong as a leader. So that's what I would do if I had four or five people. We'd agree the basics, we'd agree the rules, and I would tailor my communication to them, bearing in mind I would also consider what their preferences are more like, and I'd probably do a combination. So it's not a silver bullet team on, it's a combination of factors, I think. Thanks for that, Nick. And, and one thing that I remember from the training sessions that you and I had and you've mentioned this as well earlier on in our conversation, that you teach the person how to treat you. So if I communicate to my wife or if I communicate to you, I'm actually teaching you how to communicate to me. But how does that work? Can you, can you give me more context around this? Absolutely. So one of the most fundamental things that we do training is, is the parent-adult-child model. So if, for example, got a new starter, and every day that, that new starter sits on desk and let's call him Jack, right? And I say, Jack, don't worry about lunch. I'm going to buy you lunch today. And I'm going to tell you what time you can go to the toilet. I'm going to tell you what time you go for a coffee break. I'm going to tell you what time you to leave. Jack will sit there and wait to be told by me. And every day I say, right, okay, start work now. It's 9 a.m. Finish work now. It's 6 p.m. Let's go for lunch at 12. And I'm going to buy you lunch today. And if we did that every day for a week, the following week, I wasn't in. Jack will be lost. He says, okay, I think I need to start working. Where do I go for, I think, I'm not sure what time. Should I go for a break now or not? And straight away, the parenting style, so the parent-child relationship would cause Jack to act in a, in a certain way. So when we start to work those relationships out and go, right, what time do you, you know, we start at nine. It'd be good if you can finish around six, preferably not before. 
there's a really nice cafe around the corner that you can go and grab lunch. We finish, we do lunch around about 12 and not occasionally me and you might grab lunch together. It's a much more of an adult, adult relationship. And I think that's really important for us to establish as when we first get into that relationship and, and people then respond to that. And if every time I spoke to you as my boss, not that you would do this team on, but if you were, if every time I spoke to you, criticize me, I would be less reticent to be open to you. So you're teaching me how to hold back some stuff before I share it with you. All the time, I'm conscious about how you're being with me. So I'd adjust my communication style and adjust my openness to you based on your previous responses. It's quite, it's quite funny. You're touching on a topic that I would like to have another podcast on, which is part of the onboarding process as well. I think onboarding is vital, especially nowadays. It's vital that you put emphasis on a, on a great onboarding. But what you're also saying is that the first communication that you have maybe with a new starter or a new trainee in your team or a new employee, the first communication is essential. Absolutely. That first hour, two hours or whatever, even at interview stage is so, so, so important because you are basically laying down how you want that relationship to be. How are we going to work together? And they will be measuring you massively in that space. They're like sponges. They simply do not know. No matter how experienced they are, you are like a sponge when you meet someone new. You're soaking up. What is it like? What are they like? How are they being with me? You know, I have to say that good neighbors need to have strong fences. So when you're working today, is having them strong fences, them strong agreements about how the day is and how it's structured. You know, and if you look at any successful team from Manchester United, you know, under Ferguson back in the day, to Barcelona, to any particularly brilliant team, they've got very strong rules and regulations and ways of working in their environments. And I'm not a football pundit by any stretch of the imagination, but you look at successful teams, the All Blacks, you know, the most successful uh, professional team ever in, in the history of teams, 80% of their matches. They have a set of rules. You know, they agree a certain set of rules that they stick to. And so I would agree the ways of working have got to be agreed by all and an end goal, but the ways of working have got to be agreed and bought into as well. So I think when that happens, then you can have a very, very healthy relationship and you can hold people to task because ultimately that's what you're doing. You want them to get themselves to hold them to task. And also at some point you're going to have to hold them to task, but it's again, it was agreed and there's no surprises. Yeah, I really like the example that you mentioned here about the All Blacks. They had the black book that they created as a team where they had the rules of not being late. Well, actually, if a meeting starts at 10, the whole team is that are 10 to 10. That was one of the rules they had in the black book written as a team. And I think, well, it works brilliantly uh, within the team environment. Eh? So we're talking about team environment. We're talking about communication. We're talking about how to get the team aligned. But it had to come back to the, to the core theme of, of the communication styles, the different communication styles. And I think that you've told us now, you give us some, some tools how to identify what communication style can I best apply with this individual. But I can also imagine that maybe you're wrong. Not everyone is, is, is in the position to have the insights test within the team. Let's say I'm a, I'm a leader, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm realizing, okay, maybe I should invest a little bit more in my team to find out what is the best best way or the preferred way to communicate with an individual and maybe they realize they've done it wrong how can i do undo the the the, the way that i taught someone how to treat me and how because well do you understand where i'm going with my question i totally get that so can you basically 
what I'm hearing is if you've got a relationship that isn't great, can you kind of reform that relationship? You absolutely can. I would always say, look, you know, I've never got on with Eric and accounts or whatever. I think then I've never got on with Eric and accounts. And what we can then do is go, right, it's my responsibility then to go back and kind of work that one out. So there is people out there that you probably just won't, you know, you probably won't want to go for a beer with. But if you're working with them on a daily basis, it's, it's the best to have a working relationship. Two things, really. As a leader, if you don't know what communication style your team are as a group, you have to talk to all four energies. So you have to talk to four energies. So detailed for blue, be direct and quite quick for red, be show them you care for green and involve them for yellow. And if you do all four, you're going to kind of a bit of a cover all. But again, in a relationship that isn't great, I would say, and it takes some courage to do this without a shadow of a doubt, but you've got to ask yourself the question, I'll be working with this person for the next two or three years. Do I want to feel awkward every time I pass them in the corridor? It's like death by a thousand cuts. Or do I take the moral high ground? Do I take the bull by the horns, grab them for a coffee and just say, look, Eric, you know, sometimes we don't see eye to eye. What is it about me that kind of gets you, you know, ticks you off? And, you know, is there anything you could do to help me in that space? And take it and have the courage to create a better relationship because ultimately that person will also identify. And there is people out there with very low emotional intelligence that don't get it. But I think it's important sometimes just to throw it out there on the table. You may not know where the, te- where the conversation is going to go. And when I say as a leader, it's not always as a leader. It's any function in a business. You don't have to wait for your boss to tell you to do it or give you permission. Just do it because you, it's your life. And you spend 40, 50 hours a week at work. So it's really important you have the best relationships you can. Be courageous, be vulnerable, throw it on the table and say, look, I'm not sure if we've hit off on the right foot. Any chance we can kind of bury the hatchet and, and have a coffee together and just talk about how we could work going forward. You may not be hugging at the end of the day, but it doesn't matter because you've taken that positive step. It takes patience from my side to sometimes teach the other person how to best communicate with me. And over time, they will learn. Again, I was I was working with a team from um, Chicago last week and it was a main board and, and the CEO right at the end of the 90 minute session just went, can't we just tell them what to do? Just tell them what to do, you know? And and we'd done insights, we'd done a whole session. And again, it was at the moment, it just hadn't got it. It just hadn't quite clicked. So again, we finished the we finished the training session, but then I picked up with him and I got on the phone and we said, I said, can you just reflect on what what happened at the end? And he said, Oh yeah, Nick, I can't help myself sometimes. It's just and that's it. It's collective practice. So the reflective practice is so powerful in terms of changing your communication style because that's what has made him successful. So why would he change? It's about getting him to adapt it, but it's not going flick-flack. It's not going from like north to south. It's adjusting your communication style. It it is, and I've heard quite a lot of interesting things. And there's one topic, which is obviously quite quite a current theme, is a little bit off, maybe a little bit off what we just just spoke about, Nick. But we're working from home a lot nowadays, where we're going to change to more hybrid kind of working environment, probably. So it means a lot of people will work from home partly and will work in the office. How does this affect the communication style? Do you, do you have a, an idea about this? I think, well, fundamentally, I think it's one of the best things that's ever happened because we now see people in their homes on Zoom. So we get to understand what their home life is like. So from a vulnerability point of view, our vulnerability has gone straight up. So I think it's a really good thing. In answer to your question, we just have to do more 
of what we've already discussed. I think we have to spend a little bit more time asking people how in the transition phase from post-COVID, I think there has to be more trust with individuals that they are going to do the job. I would say leaders need to be more aware of the basics, doing the basics brilliantly by focusing what the rules, uh, the ways of working and the rules are at work. Because theoretically, somebody working from home should be more productive. What should happen is they should be more efficient because they're not spending two hours a day commuting or whatever it might be. And also they might be in a happier environment. But again, developing that trusting relationships, that individual says, you know what I'd like to do is do two days in the office and three days at home. Fine. So how do we know you're doing a good job? Let's look at the KPIs. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. And it's about sharing that journey because it's still a contract of employment. You're still paying them to do something and paying them for a result. But what is it within that to get the best person, you know, to get the best version of them out? Yeah. If even if working from home, spend some time one-to-one with all the individuals in your team to understand, well, to understand actually what's going on in their head. Yeah. There's no difference from a coaching session. It's no difference. It's, I would say, just spending time with them, what makes them tick? Do they understand the end goal? Do they, do they understand the rules? Do they understand the measures? Fabulous. Okay. So what, what questions can I ask? So I, let's say, example given, I, I've managed a team last year to, as an interim manager and team was not performing so well. So one of the things I introduced was a coffee walk with all of them. But I find it sometimes difficult to ask the right questions to find these things out. Have you got maybe some example questions that I can that I can ask if I'm a leader listening to this podcast? Like, okay, I would like to spend some more time one-to-one with my team. I, I remember Googling what is the best coaching question ever once. And I think it comes back with, so how are you? And I think it's not a bad start. So I would always start with, you know, how are you? And how do you think we're doing? Because what you're not doing as a leader, I know Team on you would never do this, but I think sometimes as leaders, we assume we have all the answers. Uh, and the answer really does lie within the individual. So I'd be asking, you know, how are you doing? And then how do you think we're doing? I don't know if it's like most industries when you came out of moved into COVID was, you know, we're struggling at the moment, this could be tough. And okay, so what does good look like? So you straight away, you've established, how are you? I'm a bit low at the moment, because I'm worried about our sales. Okay, what do you think good looks like? Right? Yeah, I agree that we should be doing 100% of budget or whatever you decide. And then at that point, I would try and ascertain, is it a skill or will issue? So has that person you're talking to, and I'll be overt with this and say, look, is it skill or will? Do you know how to do it? And they'll go, well, actually, I don't. I don't know how to make these cold calls or I don't know how to sell to this part of the industry. Fabulous. Then we need to upskill you. Or is it a will issue? that this individual knows how to sell, knows how to deal with these cold calls, but doesn't want to because of fear of offending someone or whatever. So then it's a will issue. So as a leader, then you can decide, is it up, is, is it upskilling, eye training, or is it a will issue? Is it a motivation issue? And then the conversation becomes a lot more focused around, again, like right at the beginning of this podcast, it's all about them. It's releasing them to be the best version of themselves they can be. And if you go right back to, to that, that, that core stage and go, right, so it's a will issue. So come on then. What would have to be different in your head for you to feel comfortable doing this? Oh, I'd probably need to be a bit more confident. I'd probably need to practice it a few times. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's look at that then. Would that enable you to do it? Yeah, I think it would. And, and if it's a skill issue, a lack of skill, then you go, okay, what training do you need to become better at this? 
you know, do you need mentoring or do you need to look at the best salesperson out there? So that's what I would do in that particular conversation. Because again, reflecting back to something we spoke about, it's an adult, adult conversation. We're in this together. Sales aren't great. How are we going to get through it? I haven't got the answers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great insights that, you, that you're just giving us, I think, Nick, is that asking them uh, their, their, these questions as well. So this is really what I, what I like about the adult-adult relationship that we create. It's not that I see that it's a skill issue. That's what the, well, maybe the old school leader would do. And you need to get better at these, these, these things. But you just ask them and get their involvement. I think that's also with the current generations, what they would like to, uh, to get. But I also hear the skill and will rings a bell to me as a situational leadership. Absolutely. Very simple, modeled by Ken Blanchard, you know, the one-minute manager. Bottom line is it use a directional leadership uh, style. If they've got, you know, no skill and loads of will, much like a new starter, you'd mentor them if they've got, an, you know, an, a, an increased level of skill, but their will is is lowish, you know, is average. You probably need to mentor them, put your arm around their shoulder and say, look, I know it's tough, but we're in this together. And then if they've got all the skill and no will, then that's a coaching situation. It's a bit like giving up smoking or losing weight. You know, everyone knows how to do it. We just don't want to stop eating those donuts. And that's a challenge for all of us, certainly for me. And then the finally, you can delegate to people with high skill, high will. And that's the beauty of situation leadership. But again, looping right round, if you're going to get progressing lives everywhere, I think it's about, it's progressing the individual by thinking through their eyes, by living in their world and walking in their shoes and seeing their world from their perspective. Yeah, and well, I like to conclude it with if you see it through their eyes, that's the magic. Maybe is that a good conclusion of of a lot of things we spoke about today? One hundred percent. You must look at it through their eyes. You know, walk in their shoes, be empathic to them. You know, be empathic to their world. You know, when they first sit, whether it's an interview, whatever it is, think about how they are feeling. If you think of it in that world, create a safe space, make them feel good about themselves and then you're going to get the best from them whether it's an interview whether it's an established leader or a, a poor a poor performing leader a poor performing individual doesn't matter always be part of them look through their eyes you know live in their world and that's a great way to uh, to conclude and i think also to to finish off this uh, this podcast nick uh, we, i could talk for hours for sure and i would love to <laughs> i think we both could team up <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's maybe my preferred then my preferred communication style as a yellow energy that i want to share all the things and go off topic uh, quite uh, quite easily and i know that you you like to communicate with a, quite a yellow uh, style as well and to conclude to maybe my last question to you nick if you have to give one piece of advice to those people that are listening to this podcast to take away of today what advice and to progress their lives or other lives what is one piece of advice you would like to give those listening to this podcast the one thing i would say or that certainly helped me the most is positive reflection interactions with other human beings I would positively reflect on your behavior, reflect on it and think, well, okay, what could I have done 10% better? So I think positive, healthy reflection is one of the things that I would say is it could be seen as a bit of a silver bullet. Positive, healthy reflection. You know, what's just happened? How do I feel? What could I have done 10% better? What went well? And what will I do differently next time? And the five questions I ask myself all the time, and I will do after this podcast. Wonderful. Okay. What could you have done 10% better? Um, probably thought of a couple of better stories. 
<laughs> Wonderful. I think it's perfectly in line with how I approach life as well. And also as a, as a trainer and coach is uh, 1% better every day. That's what I'm striving for one step at a time is what I often see is that people would like to change their lives. They've seen something, they've read something and they want to change their, their way of working 180 degrees, 10 steps at a time and, and they fall and, and it hurts. And, and therefore one step at a time, 1% every day, small steps. No, it's fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Nick. I know you're a very busy man. So thank you so much for, for being on this podcast. And well, I hope to see you in real life pretty soon again so we can, yes, uh, we can talk over this topic a bit longer once one or maybe we can, we can record a podcast part, uh, part two. The last, last question, I promise you, Nick, this will be the last question. If we switch roles, Nick, um, and you are hosting this podcast or you would be hosting this podcast, who would you like to interview maybe for the Progressing Lives podcast? Wow, that's a really good question. I would probably say, wow. Uh, the thing is, I, lo- I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I would probably say Gareth Southgate. If I could interview anyone, it'd be Gareth Southgate, I think, at the moment, because he is hot topic at the moment. But if you look at what he's done with those young footballers during the Euros, I would probably say him. And, and what that was fascinating for me was the teamship that they developed within the Euros was fabulous. Took Italy to, to penalties in the finals, which is incredible. But if you actually look, the key thing for me, Timon, was, and this is what I'd love to interview him about, because the way he got the team, when he subbed people off, when he was subbing players, the players weren't looking down. As they were going back to the stands, they were looking back, they were into their team, seeing what's happening. There was so much, there was so, so strong teamship that they felt like they were playing even when they'd been subbed. And that, to me, was absolute world-class leadership. So I think, in answer to your question, Gareth Southgate. Wonderful and great explanation. I would definitely listen to that podcast for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much again for your time, Nick. I believe you're going fishing, so enjoy, uh, enjoy your time off this afternoon. I will. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Moria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Moria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.